Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, by the time that people are listening to this, brackets will be busted. Actually, I sort of hate that term, or at least the way that some people use it. It's like, if you lose a Sweet 16 team on day one, day two, sorry, your bracket is not busted. You were always going to get games wrong. It's like the person who watches a basketball game and is upset that the other team scores. It's right. like, well, did, did you think they were going to be held scoreless tonight? Is is that why you're upset? Did you think your team was winning this game 48 to nothing? Like, sorry, it was never going to happen. 48 to nothing would be pretty low scoring on your team's part as well. Anyway, we're going to do some bold and brash NCAA tournament edition, which I realized by virtue of gathering those responses on Wednesday, recording this podcast on Thursday before all the games are played, and then releasing it on Friday is going to be just a fantastic opportunity for everyone to know what it feels like to get cold take because it happens to us all the time. And I'm not talking cold take like, oh, you have a wrong prediction. I'm talking like your prediction has proven wrong before the podcast even comes out. Mm -hmm. We... We were there last week, uh, almost there last week with Will Wade. Mm -hmm. So close. I was there last week. I don't think you were. I sure was. Uh, I was too. I was too. I'm not. I'm, I, I own it. Look, we that was. We were proven very, very wrong very soon after the fact. It happens, and maybe some people in the Facebook group will learn exactly what that's like. The and the plan shifted a little bit here. Um, I had a draft prospect who was supposed to be on, and just to give you a little peel behind the onion here about how this business goes sometimes, and like, I, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to put this dude on blast or anything. We might have him on in the future, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave his name out of it. Maybe you want to connect the dots, whatever. Set this interview up three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. His people actually reached out to me because they're trying to get him some of these opportunities, which I totally get. I chat with one of his reps. Everything is good. Everything is good day of. Sort of plan my evening around it. Um, hop on this Zoom call and I'm just sitting and waiting and nobody comes on. I text his reps about like 12 minutes after he's supposed to come on because sometimes, you know, if you're doing the media circuit and maybe you're running, you know, five, six minutes late, like we've, we've all been there, totally understand it. This isn't a live show. So like, I, I get it. I'm a little bit more flexible than somebody that's doing live radio or something like that. So I try and be a little bit forgiving, but when it's like 12 minutes, it's like, okay, clearly there's some sort of miscommunication here and something, you know, I didn't even get any sort of heads up at all. So, um, I text his reps and it's like, Hey, what's up? Do we get our signals crossed here? Uh, nope. They have no idea why he's not on the call. They're like, he, he's asleep, bro. I'll let us tell you, we, we got 13 missed calls that are in too. Oh God, that, if, if that happens, if, if, they're actually, if, if reps are throwing their guy under the bus like that, then he, he's, he's getting canned and he's getting new reps really soon probably because that's not, that's not ever seen the light of day. Mm -hmm. um, but apparently, and this is the, what, what I was told, is that he had, a, he had a meeting with a team come up really last minute and that he wasn't going to be coming up on the call. So I try and reschedule with his people, still haven't heard back. That's the way this business works sometimes. Well, I tell you about this all the time. Like if I had a nickel for every time someone would agree to set something up to come on the show and then just not follow through, I, I wouldn't be rich, but I would at least have more money than the average person would probably think. There, there are a lot of instances like that because in this business and especially hosting two podcasts a week, reach out to a lot of different people. You just do, so I, I've, it, I'm not like complaining about it. It comes with the territory. It's just weird when it when you see it play out like that because I always wonder to myself like, are there people like this who just exist and communicate like that in yes. the real world? Because if so, that why? Oh, that dude, you so would weird. hate dealing with like actors and on set people because yeah, they just show up whenever sometimes and it's like, oh, 
you can't be mean and like hit them up because then they'll just like leave. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's chaotic, especially like entertainment where it's not because sports is like say what you will about sports, but it's regimented. Like every athlete, lots of athletes have very regimented days. They wake up at a certain time, they do X, Y, and Z. With like musicians, forget it about musicians, bro. They will go where oh, the gosh. wind takes them. Yeah, as I always say, when I am walking in the aisle at the grocery store and someone has their cart, you know, shifted horizontally and they're basically creating a blockade across the entire aisle. Just acknowledge my existence, man. Just we live in a society. Yeah. <laughs> we, we live in a society. You're not the only person living in this society, but that's whatever. That's neither here nor there. It worked out because I've wanted to have my guy Cash Daniel back on for a little bit. So that's what we're going to do in... Uh, in a minute here. Also got Bold and Brash NCAA Tournament Edition. Like I said, that's coming up later. I have something that's a little bit Pate State-ish today. Shout out to our guy, Josh Pate, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, we love Josh. He's the man. He inspired this monologue today. As many have pointed out <clears throat> the last few years, college football is unbelievably powerful. It is an asset worth billions of dollars. Billions with a B. It'll impact millions of people, and yet we have no official ruler of the sport. The pandemic made us realize how little power the NCAA had except for coming out of the woodwork and dropping the hammer on someone like Mizzou for self-reporting a tutor violation, mm -hmm. and then hanging back in the shadows when UNC blatantly orchestrates a scheme to have fake classes. That's when the oh, NCAA don't talk the about the UNC scheme. Don't get me started about how they take UNC and Duke basketball not seriously at all. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we learned, though, during the pandemic, and I guess that stuff was pre-pandemic, but we learned during the pandemic that the NCAA is not ruling college football. It's clear that there's not a commissioner who is about to step in and rule college football, despite what many people continue to say. What I keep going back to is what Matt Hayes said on this podcast over a year ago, and whether you agree with everything Matt says or not, I think we can all fully acknowledge that university athletic directors and presidents giving up power to someone without their best interest in mind is utopic at best and comical at worst. So then who should rule college football? Hold on real quick. Who do you should... think that's because of the money, or do you think that's because of the NCAA actually like physically controlling March Madness? Wait, what's 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 your question? Like, like in terms of the control, like the NCAA has control in basketball, and not they have more control over basketball than football. I would argue, like you said, football they just clear everybody out and do whatever they want. Do you think that football is different than other sports because of the money, or do you think that the college football playoff kind of being more of a, uh, a media event and an AD event and a conferences event takes power away from the NCAA? Yeah, it wasn't like the NCAA controlled the BCS either. That's a good point. It's yeah, so it's been like that for a minute. Yeah, it, w it wasn't like th they just separated from, from the NCAA and all of a sudden were like, oh, hey, this is, this is exactly what we're doing right now. They've always kind of said, all right, this, you want to handle your postseason, you, you guys kind of figure it out what you're going to do because college football is a big enough entity where it can do that. And that, that has created a different market in terms of bidding and stuff. And that's not to say the NCAA tournament isn't some massive entity. Of course it is, but it's a different, it's just, it's just controlled differently than college football has been for whatever reason. So it's clear that a commissioner is not about to step in and rule college football like, you know, like Matt has brought up because these people are not willing to give up that power. Who should rule college football? Who should rule this entity, this pastime, this thing that's been woven into the fabric of our lives in ways that those on the outside will never fully understand? For today, let's let common sense rule the sport, not money. Not the NCAA, not optics, common sense. Maybe this is naive of me to say, but I think this is as much as, 
I, I think as much as we, we might disagree about things like whether Jordan Hare or Sanford Stadium is a more intimidating atmosphere, I think there are a lot of big picture issues with the sport right now that we actually do agree on from a common sense standpoint. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other day, last Friday, um, this is kind of a Friday news dump, $8 million NIL deal. 2023 recruit has an $8 million NIL deal in place. The Athletic reported about that. This junior could get up to $8 million by the end of his junior season in college. Brandon Marcello also wrote about this. He spoke to the lawyer involved in negotiating this deal, and he said to expect more deals like this. And the quote that felt like it was being read with this ominous music in the background was this. There will be deals, and there will be larger deals than this. We're still in our infancy here. We haven't reached adolescence yet in our NIL lifetime. That's terrifying to think about for obvious reasons, right? That basically suggests, oh, you think this headline is something? Wait until we see a 16-year-old kid get an eight-figure deal. Side note, it is sort of weird that the reaction to a 16-year-old getting that type of money is what it is, but when it comes to paying coaches not to work an eight-figure buyout, we're all like, well, capitalism, am I right? <laughs> Just kind of side note. Common sense understands capitalism better than the NCAA does. What the NCAA didn't process or didn't want to process was just how capitalist this sport had become because while they continued to watch a separate entity, aka the college football playoff, come in and command a $5.6 billion TV deal, they just sort of put their heads in the sand. Common sense acknowledges that the NIL was inevitable to have that kind of money on the table. We realize that. Those on the outside might not have, and even some media members didn't realize that it would get this crazy, which to me is like, wow, what, what sport were you watching these last few years? Quick question, I'm gonna drill you real quick again. How, yep. do you, what percentage do you think the money coming into college football changed with the NIL? Do you think it was like there's now 20 or 30% more money here? Or I mean like, cause it seems like we always joke about like forever, my whole life we joked about guys getting money. What what earning potential do you think that added? Gosh, I like I don't even know to put a ballpark number on it without knowing the financial like the real in-depth financials because even if you assume hey, kids kids got cars, right? right. Like kids had dealerships set up and that that wasn't just a Maurice Claret thing. That was <laughs> a that was definitely a witch hunt scenario in which it was like, "All right, well, we know that this is happening here here and here." but we're gonna crack down on this because we don't like the way that he's acting right now. Like this car stuff has been going on for a really long time. There are obvious cases in which guys who are of a, an elite level have had their families taken care of with a house. There is zero doubt in my mind whatsoever of all of those different things. So if you kind of factor that in, it's probably not like, oh, the money is 90% more or something like that. So I would probably tend to say, yeah, maybe like 40 to 50% more. And that's, that is a total guess yeah. in that regard. And I'm fully admitting that. But if you kind of acknowledge what was probably already on the table before, then it's not like, you know, unless we're talking about some very few select individuals, it's getting to a, a different type of level right now. Okay. So common sense, um, like I said, it, it acknowledges that, that that type of money was on the table. It also acknowledges that anyone who says NIL is just a product of spoiled kids, like anyone who says that, they just didn't watch you know, the adults negotiate $5.6 billion TV, deal, TV deals, right? Like that's, they're, they're, they're not really paying attention to that if, if they're thinking that oh, hey, this is all about kids of this generation. This is just Gen Z being Gen Z. Mm -hmm. So what does common sense do about NIL? 
Common Sense says NIL can't be negotiated until a player is on campus, right? All contracts would go through a system so that this isn't just pay for play, because even if it feels like we're heading in that direction in the latter part of the decade, Common Sense says that we're probably doing something wrong if less than a year into the system, we're seeing an $8 million deal negotiated for a high school junior who will work with a collective. And look, Common Sense is okay with collectives being part of these deals because without them, this would be an even greater free-for-all and they at least provide some sort of guardrail with this entire process, as complicated as it might be. Common Sense acknowledges that putting a million dollar cap on a player could backfire in a hurry because not only have so many of these deals already been negotiated, so we'd be talking about these like three, four years from now, but there's also a world in which you have even more players saying, and Will, you're an NBA guy, so you would know what this is about, give me the max, mm -hmm. right? Give me the max, give me that million dollars. Everybody goes into goes, if you're a four or five star guy, you're saying give me the max every single time happens in the NBA, and if college athletes ever get a union with contracts, surely that'll be a part of it. But negotiating the free market is next to impossible. Common Sense also acknowledges something that's being sort of overlooked for those sweating out those headlines, like 2023 recruit signs, $8 million NIL deal. There should also be some market correction coming soon. I really think there will be. There will be some there already have been some bad NIL deals made. Oh, Remember yeah. seeing that Dr. Pepper commercial, DJ Uyunglele, right? <laughs> I guarantee you they did not get a good return for their investment on that. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, I want to say that wasn't even on the air in November. It, it was that bad. And that's, you know, that's the difference between negotiating these college NIL deals versus pro endorsement deals. And the pros are getting someone who's already established as a household name. Yeah, with NIL, there'll be some guys who will get national deals. They'll be established as household names. But common sense says that some of these business owners sold themselves on athletes with like 10,000 social media followers, really driving business for them, only to watch one post really not turn into anything because NIL is so out there, it is saturated, and it doesn't really kind of move the needle. When it's first out and it's midnight and Bo Nix is getting a deal for Sweet Tea, that's a big time headline. But pretty soon we're kind of like, oh yeah, cool, got a deal for Sweet Tea, good for you. Congratulations, get that money, whatever. Mm -hmm. Common Sense says that the combination of market correction with having actual NIL rules in place to not allow any contracts negotiated until arriving on college campuses would somewhat keep things in check. Before I move on to, before Common Sense rather, moves on to the transfer portal. Any thoughts on that? You know what I was just thinking of while you were saying that? I don't know, did you ever have like OG Netflix, like right when it became a streaming service? Uh, I got Netflix in 2013. So like actually kind of, I was probably a little bit later. So you were about, you were still probably there like the tail end of it, but like Netflix in 2010 was the most beautiful place ever. It had every show, bro. It had SpongeBob, it had Cartoon Network shows. This is what I was like, <laughs> with SpongeBob. Listen, man, because this is when I was in college. And I remember just being away from home and just being like, I'm gonna start my day with something happy. That's what I was like, but I'm talking about every big franchise was on there because nobody understood streaming rights, right? And so they were just like, screw it. We'll give you a five mil or whatever, put it on there, put yeah, your SpongeBob yeah. on there. And now these individual franchises, like how many times has The Office changed hands or Seinfeld and like their individual things. That's what NIL feels like right now, where it's like, Great. Point. The first, like the Bonex deal is exactly what I was going to bring up. It's like, this is this fun, silly thing. We can all talk about how cool, whatever it is. But, you know, the future might be 10, 20 times when capitalism really gets in there and it totally changes the face of how this looks. And it's not just, you know, your fun little deal here and there. It's like you got collectives, you got the big boys. And like, that's why that quote is so good because you can see how 
you know, media empires have been built through streaming, through social media, through all these things. And it feels like, you know, the NIL is the next phase of that. It, yeah, that, that's a great point. And it's, it's not to say that I don't think that there will be restrictions on this, but common sense suggests that there, there will be some sort of pushback, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just going to escalate for everyone. And pretty soon you're going to have guys who are getting these million dollar deals from their local barbershop, mm-hmm. right? Like there will still be business owners who are looking at their bottom lines and yeah, they might have some, some, some stake with the football team and they want to see the football team do well. So their price might maybe higher than what you would think, but that will keep at least some of this in check. We're yep. still talking about capitalism here, right? Like yep. this isn't just uh, everybody, you know, everybody's going to win. Everybody's going to make money. Like th- there is still some sort of pushback with this. So common sense also would like to weigh in on the transfer portal. Okay. Common Sense has some thoughts on that. I actually think Common Sense is ruling a lot of the transfer portal right now. I, not me. <laughs> Common Sense likes the, um, the fact that, that you have to transfer by May 1st to play for your team the upcoming year, mm-hmm. right? That, that checks out with Common Sense. Common Sense says that it's good that coaches can go into fall camp knowing that some coach isn't gonna text their backup quarterback that he can start at their school if they hit the next flight to Austin. I don't know why I use Texas as the example, but you get what I'm saying. Speaking of that, (laughs) tampering is the only thing that common sense would change. Common sense would close all DMs across social media platforms for athletes. Just kidding. Just kidding. Common sense isn't doing that. That would be tough for you, man. You'd be having to at people in public. Yeah. No, I'm not sitting here DMing current players or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Common sense knows that if the DMs aren't open, that that post-game celebration isn't going to be quite as fun. Right? Common sense has a sense of humor. Okay. Let's let's, let's make that, that known here. Common sense would turn tampering into a level one violation. The NCAA's current rule states the following. In order to meet the criteria of the one-time transfer exemption, the student athlete must certify in writing along with their new head coach. They did not have any direct or indirect communication with the schools, with the new school's athletic staff prior to entering the NCAA transfer portal. Common Sense laughs and thinks about that horrendous movie Benchwarmers where they had the guy who's got the full goatee Mm -hmm. and his birth certificate that reads, I am 12 with a picture (laughs) of his face on it. You see, it's funny that the NCAA puts a rule in place and says it's a prerequisite for gaining immediate eligibility with the one-time exemption. Common sense says that someone should actually be regulating that if it's a rule, because that's the most useless rule ever if nobody is actually digging into university-issued cell phone records or tracking all communication. Common sense says that if it's such an egregious violation of college athletics to have a tutor to take a few tests to get multi-year investigations, one would think it would be worth the time of the organization to also dig into conversations that are had on university-issued cell phones. Common sense was not attempting to make a Hugh Freeze joke in there, but if you took it that way, common sense wants no part of that, let the record show. The transfer portal doesn't seem to be ruled by much of anyone right now. And while common sense acknowledges that it'll never make everyone totally happy, this is about the consensus feeling, which seems to be that it's better than that trash waiver system that the NCAA put in place only to admit that it was overwhelmed. It literally admitted it was overwhelmed by the process because unlike common sense, the NCAA didn't understand that no college athlete wanted to waste a year of their physical prime. Should common sense weigh in on the fun stuff or you got thoughts on on the transfer portal? 
No, yeah, I think <laughs> I think all of that makes a lot of sense. The transfer portal is pretty wild, but I, I think it actually is kind of the best version of the system we've had, yeah. Yeah, and level one might sound a little bit harsh. Maybe, maybe we dock it down to level two. Maybe we, as, as what's going out of my mouth, I'm like, wait a minute. I just read about all these level, viol, level one violations that OSU had. Uh, maybe level two. Level two seems fair, at mm-hmm. least. Okay, the fun stuff. Playoff expansion. One thing that's great about common sense is that it does not pretend to be perfect, nor is it too stubborn to dig its heels in even deeper. Common sense watches, it listens, it reacts. Common Sense watched the first eight years of the playoff, the four-team playoff, and saw a lot of great things that the sport started to get with the BCS era, and a lot of things that the sport really didn't have in the pre-BCS era. Money. No, just kidding. (laughs) Remember, Common Sense has a sense of humor. That's what we're talking about. Common Sense also acknowledges clarity. Clarity is great, but only to a certain extent in college football. Clarity to determine a national champion is great. Crowning a title winner and having people debate the logic beyond a decision decades after the fact is not clarity. The playoff created clarity. For the most part, by virtue of actually having a true national championship game, the BCS at least had some clarity. Not all clarity, but some. Of course, common sense wasn't crazy about computers in a formula that nobody really understood and seemingly ignored human elements like actually playing head-to-head games and acknowledging the significance of that. Common sense wishes the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee acknowledged head-to-head games between Texas A&M and Notre Dame, but common sense is taking this one sport at a time. Football is the focus today. As for football, eight years in, only six programs have won a playoff game. Even though engagement and access to the sport has never been higher with all the games that we can watch on a given Saturday, it's never been more obvious that only a handful of teams can win a national title. Common Sense realizes that simply adding more games to a playoff system won't change that, but what Common Sense also realizes is what Greg Sankey did. Having more people care about this sport from coast to coast is beneficial to all. Common Sense isn't big on cliches, but... A rising tide lifts all boats is important to remember during a time like this. Yes, playoff games on college campuses would be incredible. No, it's not ideal to have 18 to 22 year old kids potentially playing 17 games. Mm -hmm. Common sense reduces the regular season by a game. What about the loss of home revenue for one of those games? Isn't that millions of dollars that universities won't get? Yes, but common sense isn't ruled by money. Common sense isn't swayed by losing a few million bucks for universities with billion dollar endowments and wildly increasing TV contracts already impacting their bank accounts. Expand? Sure, common sense can get on board with that. Common sense can also knock off one of those regular season games to make sure the greatest regular season there is doesn't lose its significance as much as some fear it will with expansion. Top four seeds get a buy? Sure, incentivize the crap out of those regular seasons. And if you really want, keep the conference title games. Just don't sit here and try and convince common sense that automatic qualifiers should be a thing in an 18 playoff because we've got 15 years worth of data to tell us that not not all conferences are created equal Mm -hmm. and making 75% of the field automatic qualifiers makes zero sense. Also, don't sit here and convince common sense that the Rose Bowl gets preferential treatment because of tradition or the sunset over the mountains or some crap that the Big Ten keeps holding on to. Home playoff games in round one, rotate the six New Year's Six Bowl sites. Honestly, that's not something common sense wants to get overly hung up on because outside of having those first round playoff games played on college campuses, the exact format of that whole thing, it's not really overly concerning. It's about the amount of teams into the field that people are really going to hang up, get hung up on. Mm-hmm. Common sense lied. Now, 
Now is where we really get into the fun part of this discussion. Targeting and faking injury. I knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Common Sense couldn't wait to weigh in on this. Common Sense was actually pleased to see a couple weeks ago that the NCAA Rules Committee recommended changes to targeting. What didn't please Common Sense was those recommendations were conferences being allowed to appeal targeting calls wherein a player was ejected from the second half of a game. Under the current rules, of course, a player ejected from the second half of a game for targeting has to sit the first half of the following game. Again, Common Sense thought it was funny that the Rules Committee once thought that everyone would be totally okay with that and that a two-minute review would suffice for whether a player essentially gets a one-game suspension for targeting, whether it was malicious or not. Under the proposed changes, conferences could make the appeal after the game and the Rules Committee would take a more in-depth look at whether a player ejected in the second half for targeting would have to sit the first half of the following game. If the conference wins the appeal, the player can play in the first half of the following game, no further suspension. Does that make sense, Will? Mm-hmm. I went through that kind of quickly. Okay. Common sense really doesn't have to do a whole lot here. Common sense has already been laid out there. For The people have figured out what common sense is when it comes to targeting. Tier one, tier two. Tier one is incidental. It's a 15-yard penalty, no ejection, play on. Tier two targeting is malicious. If we can make snap judgments about technical fouls and flagrant fouls in basketball, we can make snap judgments about malicious malicious intent after reviewing. Ejection for the rest of the game, but a player can still remain on the sideline and they do not have to sit out the first half of the next game. That's tier two. You can track tier one and tier two violations per player and then make a determination about, uh, you can make a determination about an additional suspension. Like you could do, you know, with technical fouls, it's like what, 14 technical fouls and then you have to sit out a game in the NBA. Is that what it is? Something I think like it's that. 16, Rasheed yeah. Wallace. Yeah, Rasheed Wallace used to hit it every single year. Draymond Green, big time. Uh, watch out for that last technical or else you're getting suspended guy. Yep. Uh, like you could do this in college football, like common sense would say, come up with a number, maybe it's three tier two violations equals a one game suspension, maybe four tier one violations. Remember tier one is the lesser, the, mm-hmm. the non-intentional, non-malicious. Maybe four of those violations in a season warrants a suspension for the first half of the following game or something like that. Because remember, the intent of the rule and why it isn't being changed so quickly is partially because of optics, which common sense doesn't really care about, mm-hmm. but why it's not being changed is because it's also about protecting the players doing the targeting. Even if you're not malicious, you can still have bad tackling form that's putting yourself in danger if you don't make those adjustments. Sooner or later, you need a wake-up call. Even if you have four tier one targeting calls, meaning it's not malicious, you should probably fix your tackling. Right, and we're seeing. I think like we're seeing that play out because guys tackle less than ever in practice. I'm not doing like the old man guys don't tackle anymore. They don't care about form, but like guys tackle less than ever in practice. And at the same time, guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Okay, the system that we have created yields bad tackling at times. It just does. That's that's the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. Common sense loves that targeting is such an obvious thing that needs ruling because or that needs better than what the NCAA Rules Committee recommended, right? Like, it is so painfully obvious to everyone who watches, no matter what side of this you're on, it's pretty clear that targeting needs to be changed. Because while Common Sense agrees with the addition of a midweek review process that allows conferences and specific teams to determine if there are any punishments necessary, Common Sense says that that won't stop the problem. 
It's not going to. That's not going to go away. Common sense says that players only having to sit one single play is comical and that the upside still far outweighs the downside of it. If targeting can be reviewed, a player should be forced to sit either for an allotted amount of time during the game, whether it's three minutes, four minutes, or that player should have to sit the entire possession. Common sense has seen that approach that a lot out there. Will, any, any thoughts on that real quick? College football penalty box sounds awesome, actually. Just make the defense play with 10 players if a guy gets and, and get it, so <laughs> Iowa has the closest that fans can be to the bench of any program in the country. Mm-hmm. Make it so that it's basically just like right next to the fans. <laughs> like, you know, protect the players, obviously. that's we're not, we're not here to get them hurt or anything like that. You know, put the put the penalty box up, although that would probably obstruct somebody on the 50-yard line or something like that. They'd get really uh, offended by it. Make it like, you know, an injury tent, but like a clear thing so that they can see the player and they can heckle, but you can't really get outside of that. Have an assistant, have some random GA on the sideline hang out with that player to make sure they're not doing something incredibly stupid. I mean, it would be great from an entertainment standpoint. Love that. I think awesome. that idea works everywhere but Tennessee, where it needs to be under the stadium. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that the uh, thing, you know what's funny about targeting, too? I totally agree with you. Targeting, you can almost tell, number one, real time. And then once you see that first replay, it's been very rare that I've changed my opinion of targeting. Maybe I'm just ignorant, but it's like, for your tier one, you know, you just kind of imagine it like a southern dad, just kind of go with your gut, right? Tier one is, hey, guy's bell rung. Tier two is, hey, that's Bush League. <laughs> Whatever you feel like there's a hit that's like, dude, why did you just do that? Like, that was not part of football. It's exactly what you just said with, like, a, a technical foul. It's like, yeah, like, it's very obvious. Unless, like, if it's, like, the Penn State-Auburn uh, play, it's like, come on, bro. What am I supposed to do here? Like, that's yeah. officiated essentially the exact same way it is if you just Horrible. torpedo somebody right now. So, yeah, yes. I, I think that I think that there needs to be tears. And, yeah, I, I, I like all of this kind of kind of scrunching the penalty for it. And even in that scenario, if you had determined that targeting was called and it's just a 15-yard penalty, and it, who was it? It was, um, was it McLean? I think on the tackle. Who? I can't remember. why. I don't know why I'm blanking on that, that play. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, um, but it would still be an automatic first down in that scenario. And even if it is incorrectly ruled, you're still having some sort of punishment there. It's just not quite as severe when clearly it's like, dude's trying to prevent him from getting to the goal line. What is he supposed to do? Right. It's, it's a game-saving tackle, and it's not, it wasn't malicious by any stretch of the imagination there, so we should be able to make that determination. Okay. They have someone to make sure a player ejected for targeting doesn't re-enter the game. So why can't that person also track a player on the bench with an alleged injury, right? For what it's worth, that review is, is still necessary. Common sense realizes that coaches will go to the ends of the earth to try and prove, to try and prove a player is hurt. And there are probably certain HIPAA violations that they'd fall back on if pressed for information from trainers regarding an injured player. They got an x-ray machine on the sideline, just like, look, it's broken. Oh, it's miraculously yeah. healed, look at this. See, his leg is snapped in half. Like, you can just tell. There's supposed to be a bone there. There's just nothing. In addition to all those things, Common Sense believes that any player who goes down with an injury within 25 seconds of a play clock on the defensive side of the ball should be subject to automatic post-game review unless that player sits the remainder of the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, So if you're out for the rest of the game with an injury, all right, we're not going to accuse you of faking an injury, you've, you've earned that right, whatever. But if you're going down with less than 25 seconds on the play clock, which if you, don't, if you want to take the subjectivity out of it, 
that's what you need to look at right there because those injuries aren't happening with 35 seconds or with 30 seconds left on the play clock or something like that. It's, oh crap, we're out of sorts. Mm -hmm. We need to figure something out. The play clock has gotten low. Maybe you've been Sniper, ah. 20 seconds. <laughs> oh no. Exactly. Exactly. We can see all of this. If a post game review determines that a player checked those boxes of a faked injury, hear this. A 15-yard penalty should be enforced for the first offensive possession of the team's next game. Not on the kickoff, on the opening offensive possession. Meaning if it's a touchback, instead of getting it at the 25-yard line, you start at the 10-yard line. On top of that, a player who is determined to have faked an injury has to serve a suspension of one half. That player can appeal the suspension by citing the circumstances surrounding the injury, like how long they sat out, what sort of treatment they received, etc. But ultimately, what that appeal process should last no more than one week, mm -hmm. right? That should be figured out. Common sense realizes that's a lot, and that is way more extreme than any current punishment. Common sense has also been watching these fake injuries happen in the college football world as it embraced the no huddle offense. And instead of worrying about potentially incorrectly evaluating one fake injury and doing nothing and fear of that and what the downside of that would be, the time has come to actually do something. Common sense is about getting stuff done. It hopefully was able to do that today. Will, any thoughts for common sense uh, slash me? Yeah, that was, uh that was a lot. That was really good. I think, yeah, just on the on the injury tip, it's like you almost have to put the. This is so bad to say out loud, but it's like you almost got to put the player in a situation where they are looking at themselves and in in a way that they could disagree with the coaches. Because if this comes from the coaches, there's just no way you can stop it unless the player yes, is like, yes. "Hey, I'm gonna get suspended. I'm gonna be subject of ridicule. I need to." Because like, if you're hurt, you're hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always. It's never gonna be like. That shouldn't be the difference between a guy like limping off the field and like actually being hurt and a guy staying in. But like, and like, I hate to just throw Lane Kiffin under the bus, but I've just physically seen it a lot where it's like, hey, if Lane Kiffin yells to you, you know, from the sideline, get down. It's like, I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want to miss a half. I don't want to be asked about this. I'm good. Figure this out somewhere else. Call different plays. I'm going to give you all I got, but it's, it can't be. Uh, 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 what's it called? They can't be in cahoots. So like, I, I, I think that that's a good one. So yeah, overall, I mean, this is obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of things that would make this world better. And, uh, I'm just hopefully, you know, do, do the, the Martin Luther, not the Martin Luther King, but the Martin Luther, where you like nail the commandments onto the, the church. Oh, you gotta, yeah. you gotta do that to the uh, NCAA and just put all the common sense stuff up there. And <laughs> hopefully they'll get one or two of them. You just made me think of a few good men, you know, Colonel Jessup ordered the code red. All right. If Colonel Jessup orders the code red, yeah, what do you think they're gonna do? They're not, they're not gonna disobey him. Right. They're not gonna stand up and say, no, we can't do this in that moment. It doesn't matter what Markinson says to, 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 the, to the soldiers in that moment. You know, they've, they've got a job to do. It is their job to, to follow orders. And you know, that's ultimately why they still had face punishment. But I agree with you. This a little bit different than A Few Good Men. Great movie. but. I, get, I totally get what you're saying. That's why you have you can't just punish one specific party on this. This has to be a wholesale thing because it is a problem. The no huddle, hurry up offense. Teams are going to continue to play up tempo. That's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't in the sport in the same way 25 years ago. All right. 
I'm not sure that we're talking about this in the same sort of way if the Buffalo Bills of the 1990s don't introduce this to the sport and then pretty soon Gus Malzahn brings it into college football in a way that, yeah, others have tried, but he executed and made it his brand. And now we see this all over the place and it's being used and this strategy to combat it, there, there still needs to be some sort of acknowledgement of that. The game changes, and probably the rules should too. Real quick, okay. the thing that you said about tackling, I think is very interesting too. It's like guys are getting better at football, but where is it tackling? And it's like you'll see, you know, depending on the game, if it's a national championship game, you'll see a ton of these plays. But in a given game, you'll have five to ten plays where it's like, oh my goodness. Like when a defender like really tries to tackle someone and they just track them down like a missile. It's just like, it's like you can see these flashes of like, hmm, if these guys were like, oh, the NFL field here and it was like the bag was already secured, how they would tackle. But like, yeah, now it's like, you got to pick your spots now and you know it's there you can see it especially like i said these playoff games or championship games where guys are just chomping up the bit and they really see like these hits you'll see in those games where they let guys play a little bit more are just the best we've seen honestly and yeah the four i always like the four things that have contributed to why tackling has gotten gotten a lot more difficult you also like in addition to like guys getting bigger faster stronger guys don't practice tackling as much like the other thing to, to kind of remember is, well, the targeting angle is, mm-hmm. is certainly part of it. That's kind of the third part. And then also like pad size. I mean, you could bring <laughs> a dude down by these jerseys and like literally like rip the jersey off in a way, you know, 25 years ago that you just can't do now. Like there's, it's just different. There's just not as much to grab a hold of. And you're not going to see Tim Biakabatuka <laughs> running 10 yards, getting his jersey pulled. Yeah, that's a reference right there. Oh, yeah. Michigan. Like there, there, you just won't see that, right? Like it's, it's just, that has totally changed. And so all these different things to make tackling more difficult, you have to acknowledge kind of the other side of it and acknowledge, all right, what are we really valuing here when it comes to targeting? And how can we make sure that this sport isn't just getting a massive eye roll multiple times a game every single Saturday? Okay, let's kick it to Cash Daniel. Always good to check in with our guy. Uh, he's just, uh, he's got a ton of stuff in the works right now. So we talked about that, some Kentucky stuff new offense, college football wide stuff, and more. Here is Cash Daniel. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Cash Daniel. Cash, you're uh, <laughs> Cash at lunch right now. Love it. Um, okay, so you're, you're a bit numb to this because you do cool stuff all the time. As people who are watching this from home can tell, your hat, that's just the look of a guy who does cool stuff. Um, yeah, I was gonna everybody's... Say, Everybody says that I look like I can open up a bench dinner today. So I take that as a highly high compliment. <laughs> okay, so so you do cool stuff, but like for me, I don't want to see those opportunities never come around, but they're a little bit less frequent. So uh, I got invited to an event that you're going to be at. Mark Stoops is signing bottles of this commemorative uh, Citrus Bowl whiskey, RD1 Spirits Tasting Room, afternoon of Saturday, March 26th. They're like, hey, media, come er- come by early, try the whiskey, you know, talk with Stoops about it, all that stuff. I'm going to be honest, man. Like, you know, I live in Orlando. I looked at flights. I, I really did. I was like, I'd love to be able to make it up there. I joked to my brother because he lives in Lexington. I was like, you should just say that you're me and then go because it sounds like this event is going to be awesome. And I know you're going to be part of this as well. Yeah, man, it's actually a really great opportunity. Um, you know, we are partnered with RD1 Spirits here in Lexington. Uh, RD1 stands for the uh, first registered distillery uh, here in Lexington. They have, I believe, we have over 68 distilleries across the state of Kentucky, and uh, a lot of things. A lot of people know that Kentucky's known for a couple of things. They're known for Kentucky basketball, now Kentucky football, and uh, you know, obviously bourbon. 
And so what my company here is what they're trying to do is Coach Stoops is actually a part of it as well. So being, being able to be back and be on the same team with him again is just unbelievable. But you see right here, we're enjoying ourselves a nice bottle of William Tarr bourbon. This is actually our Manchester Reserve. It's our 96.4 proof. Uh, probably one of our, our uh, one of our darker looking whiskeys, but uh, we actually have a 114, and we actually have another one uh, coming out here pretty soon. But it's a uh, it's a great opportunity for me just to be back with Coach Stoops and also you know kind of grow my uh, entrepreneurship career since you know since football told me to uh, kick rocks. So uh, this is a great opportunity for me, and I'm I'm actually glad that I can now cash in on some of the NIL deals that these dudes are getting. Even though I know they can't promote liquor, but, uh, you know, I, I guess that's one field I know that they can't, that they can't uh, scrap me in. So I, I joked we were texting yesterday, and I, I said you're basically a whiskey influencer at this point. And I know you're working with a ton of different businesses in the area, but, man, it seems like since I saw you on the Fine Bomb set in, uh, what was it, that was October, I think you've added, like, 12 different businesses to your portfolio, like – you got, you got like to, the, man. I mean, you're, you're all over the place. Like, it seems like you, you are just like a, you're, you're getting to this place where I think every single business in Lexington is working with you to promote stuff. You got like the thirst traps going there with the pre-workout <laughs> stuff as well. Like you're all over the place, man. I try to be, man. I, I try to stay as relevant as I can, but you know, the one thing that I've learned, especially since, uh, since NILs came about is that, you know, it's hard to compete with guys that are in school because they're, they're, they're what's hot right now. You know, that's something that, you know, I can't get mad at because, you know, I mean, I'd be doing the exact same thing and, you know, it's just about, you know, being myself and, you know, showing people that, you know, Hey, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I may not be playing or strapping on anymore, but, you know, I can, uh, I can market well, I can market myself well. That's one thing that I learned throughout my college career, even before NIO was even a thing. Uh, shout out to my man, shout out to my man, Jim from uh, influencer for teaching us all that. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a great opportunity for me to, to really know the game before I actually got out into the game. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's helped me along the ways. But you know, I'm just thankful to be partnered with a great group like RD1. You know, the people that I, that are within the organization, within that are always surrounded by me. Not just Coach Stoops, but my man Adam, uh, Barry. You know, there's uh, Marsha, Mike. There's so many people that are involved that are such great people, and you know. Uh, welcome me with open arms and, you know, we're going to do a lot of great stuff. Tomorrow, you're, you're like running back size right now. You're like 220. Are you like 215, 220? Dude, I'm like, I'm like a big, uh, let's put it this way. I'm like a John Lynch right now. I'm like, I weigh okay. myself today. I'm like, two, I'm like 219 and a half. You know, I'm like, well, if, if I was a little bit more flexible with this weight, you know, I could probably come down here. And I, I'm actually, I know I can still come down here and crack somebody in the jaw. Like I'm, I know I could like, <laughs> If there's any NFL teams listening to this, I can still play special teams. <laughs> yeah, put you put you on Gunner or something like that. Just give you a head of steam because, like, you, you're because you were you're playing. What was your playing weight? Like two forty five. I was no man. Thank God, I actually lost some weight. So when I got this, when I first got to school, dude, I just I was a special teams dude for two years, and I didn't take you know the film room as serious as I should have. And I was more uh, I was more of a beer drinker than I was a was a college athlete at that time. And I got to around like. I don't know. Two, I think my heaviest was two fifty five. I ain't gonna lie. I was two fifty five, and I realized that I couldn't run with these dudes. I was stronger than everybody else, but you know, I, I couldn't run with these dudes or anything like that. And so uh, it was a it was a point of emphasis for me to just you know, uh, and I've said this in interviews before. I was like, I, I had a decision: like, do I want to be an all SEC beer drinker, or do I want to be an all SEC linebacker? Now, the all SEC linebacker obviously didn't end up happening as well, but you know, it, it got me to drop a couple times at least. 
Is it weird to be uh, in a position now where a Kentucky quarterback weighs more than you? No, it's awesome, man. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I mean, Will is an absolute unit, bro. I mean, whenever he takes off, I mean, I know that he's not going to slide. I know he's going to try to lower his shoulder and run somebody over. You know, that kind of makes me uh, kind of makes me uh, remind myself of the days when I played quarterback. You know, I never shied away from contact from anybody. And, uh, you know, but it, he's, he's obviously a hell of a lot quarter, better quarterback than I was in high school. But uh, to see him, man, be able to do the things he does out there is unbelievable, man. And to, uh, to see the year that they had, I know they're going to be able to, you know, continue to grow, grow off of it. It's going to be uh, going to be another exciting year in Lexington. I thought he was a little bit like Jim McMahon-esque with some of the things, like just some of the yeah. recklessness that he has at times where you're like, you don't see that as much in quarterbacks. Like there, there are fake tough quarterbacks and there are guys who can take a hit, but the guy, like you saw it, especially in, in the Louisville game was kind of the culmination of all of it. But like you see somebody who throughout the course of the season, his confidence just kept growing and growing and growing. Turnovers got to cut down, but like how, how excited are you to kind of be able to watch him settle into this offense? albeit a different offense now without Liam Cohen, but a very similar offense probably to what he ran last year and seeing what he did down the stretch. How excited to you that Kentucky like has a legit returning starter it's awesome man I, I mean and I've uh, you know no disrespect to you know anybody that we played with or anything like that but you know there's gonna be my guys like man could you imagine if we had this kind of offense and this things like that when we played um, you know just you know should have could have would have type situations but you know they've done an unbelievable job you know and that's one thing that coach Stoops is looking for was looking for a sense of balance you know when he brought in coach Cohen uh, you know for this offense you know your your, your twin brother obviously but, uh, you know, and have a guy like Will, and I've always uh, – the biggest thing that I've always liked about Will Levis is that, you know, he got here in the summer, okay? And from the time he got here in June to the end of training camp in August, he had the most utmost – his teammates had the most utmost respect for him and knew that he was such a warrior that they named him a captain. You know, that, that's, that's hard to do, man. That's, that, um, you have to be able to get down on a personal, personal level with guys, I mean, I just know the, the the type of leadership that goes into that, and to have a guy back there, you know, leading the helm for the offense, you know, is just unbelievable. And to see the things that he's done, you know, this past season, you know, obviously, I think you know, a new quarterback and a new system and a new league like the SEC, you know, I think that's probably you know some of the reasons why you see some of the turnovers that he had. But you know, I think that he's settled in with this offense, and uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of great things coming back for next year with Will Evans. Man, I'm excited for it. What do you think of uh, Skagrell, the new offensive coordinator? Doesn't seem like he's going to have as good of a doppelganger, but seems like there was a, a pretty uh, pretty well-liked hire. And for, for Stoops to go out and get somebody that comes from the Shanahan-McVay tree, it seemed like Kentucky fans are pretty fired up about it. Yeah, that was an unbelievable hire by Coach Stoops. And I'm just so glad that now Kentucky football is at the point to where we can actually go and get those kind of caliber of coordinators and coaches, get them from the league, get them from a tree like the Shanahan tree like you were talking about. I mean, the guy was a former NFL offensive coordinator, a very similar offense to what Cohen ran here. Obviously, there might be a little couple of tweaks here with how they name stuff or different things like that. But I believe it's not going to be that much of a learning curve for anybody. I think he's going to step in. I think they're going to have a great spring ball. I think it's going to be a great time for these guys to actually learn and, uh, you know, visualize when they're walkthroughs and different things like that of what they have to accomplish, you know, leading into fall camp. And with a guy back there like Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez and, you know, so many guys coming back. I mean, it's going to be, like I said, and I keep on saying it, but it's going to be another exciting year, man, Lex. And there's nothing, as a, as a guy that got to experience the other side of it, you know, out there in the parking lot, you know, in the tailgate vibes and everything like that, and when Kentucky football's rolling, everybody's rolling. We're all on good times, baby. 
Here's a question. We debated this a, a couple times during the season and you're going to be, t- you're going to be very biased on here, but I'm curious if, uh, if, if you don't have the answer, I expect you'll have, you were part of the 2018 team, historic, obviously best Kentucky team in four decades. And you were obviously there to watch all of it up close this past season. Who wins in a game between the 2018 team and the 2021 team, keeping in mind that, um, we would put guys like C-Rod and Kennard on the 2021 team instead of the 2018 team. I'll have to go with 2018 team, man. I mean, I might be sounding a little biased, but this <laughs> team didn't have Josh Allen coming off the edge. They didn't yeah. have Lonnie Johnson in the back end. Uh, Chris Westry, Doug Beatty, uh, you know, Darius West, uh, Jordan Jones back there, the inside linebacker with me. Guys in the defensive front like Calvin Johnson, Boogie Watson, uh, you know, TJ Carter, all those guys, man. I just, I just believe that that de- – I'm not knocking the defense this year. I mean, they've done a lot of great things. I mean, you know, look what they did in the Florida game. Look what they did in the LSU game. Obviously, you know, Coach White, you know, has this set in stone there in Lexington of what the standard is and what he expects every day in games and practices. But I just think if you look back at it, man, I think even though it was a high-powered offense like that, you know, we played some high-powered offenses that year. And, uh, yeah, I have a I have a pretty, pretty big confidence boost knowing that I have Josh Allen coming off the edge. Uh, when they – when you are like switched in a matchup and you see that you're lined up across from Wandell in the slot, like you're, Oh my God, this is, this is going to be a problem moment. Like that, that would have yeah. hit for you though. I would imagine. Right? Yeah. I, I would have instantly been like, I better have safety help over the top. That's all I know. That's um, all I know. Cause I, I know for a fact, I'm not running with that guy. Yeah. I, hey, not many people could stick with him, even who are supposed to be able to, to stick with him at, at that spot. Right. You, you love Stoops. I, I know you do. And, and you're working with him now again. And, you know, you keep in touch with him. Did you have uh, any doubt whatsoever about him potentially leaving at the end of this past season? Not really, man. Just because, you know, Coach Stoops is a, um, you know, take away all the limelight that head coaches get, you know, from being you know, He's a blue-collar guy. You know, he, he comes from a steel or steel town in Youngstown, Ohio. You know, he grew up around blue-collar people his whole life. And I think that the people of Kentucky have welcomed him with such open arms and he knows that, you know, it's more than just about a football job. You know, it's about his the community and his engagement with the fans and uh, the support that he has from Eli Capaluto and Mitch Barnhart and everybody up there in the front office. So we're like, I think like he knows like this is his spot. And I think that like a lot of people, you know, whether it be their career or, where they want to get in life. I think there's a, a point in time when you come to a point in your life and whether it be your career or anything else, you're like, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. And this is where I need to be. And I think that, you know, the, the success that, that we've produced and the love and support that not only he's had from the front office and everybody up front, or like I said, you like Capilouto, Mitch Marnhart, everybody in between, but just the fans and the, the way that the players love him. Um, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, this is his program that he's built. And uh, I just feel like, you know, you don't want to walk away from something that he's built. You know, this is, this is, this is his, this is his program. So, and, uh, you know, bringing the guys that, he's, that he, that he did with the coaching staff changes, with guys in his recruiting classes, uh, you know, the way you fit the transfer portal, you know, he's just, it's another stepping stone. You know, and like I said, you know, the Kentucky football is only one or two, three seasons away from playing for an SEC championship. And that, I'm telling you, people call me crazy. They've been calling me crazy ever since I came out to work. I don't care. So I'm telling you, the next two to three years, 
Kentucky's going to be playing for a national championship. Or not national championship, but an SEC championship. There you go. There you go. Let's not get too far ahead of myself. He really wanted that indoor facility, and he got it. You, you've been in those, those rooms when – uh, you're getting recruited. You're looking around. You're trying to picture where you're going to spend your next your next four years and all those different things. How much does something like that matter? Is is it overblown? Is it something that really only coaches care about, or is that something that if you walk in and you see, whoa, they they've got indoor practice facility, they've got this, they've got that. Did that matter to you during the recruiting process? At the time, not really, just because you know when I was getting recruited, that was kind of the upstart of the facility upgrades in college football. Yeah. I mean, that's when, you know, Clemson got theirs. That's when Alabama up theirs. That's when Tennessee got their new indoor facility. Um, you know, and that's one thing, the first thing I saw when I went down there for a camp, you know, was how big and how nice, um, you know, Tennessee's indoor facility was at that time. And then I would go to places like Marshall and Marshall just had a brand new upgrade and things like that. And I'm not knocking our facility or anything like that. I mean, it, it served us well. And I mean, we got it done, but, when you're trying to compete and be a, you know, an S, a legit SEC football program, you're in and you're out. You know, you need the best of the best um, facilities and everything like that that you need to be able to give yourself that edge. Um, when you walk into our facility, obviously we share it with uh, basically every, uh, every sport on UK's campus. I know that our track team works out in there and everything like that, and they have to get, you know, their shot puts thrown out there, those heavy-ass balls and things like that, that, that you know, can put divots in the, uh, in the turf and things like that. The turf itself, you know, is really, really old. I mean, they haven't replaced it since the um, since the indoor facility was built. So there was a lot of times when we would come off the field, like when we would hear that we were practicing the indoor, we'd be like, "Shit, man!" <laughs> like we know we we know our ankles and feet are about to kill us because we know how tight and how old that turf is. But you know, and we've actually, you know, there's a couple times when you know you need that second field in there to where offense and defense can have their own separate field because. If you're trying to run both ways, we've had a couple, a couple incidents where, you know, we've had one-on-ones from the offense coming this way, and we've had one-on-ones from the defense coming this way, and a couple guys run into each other. We try our best to, you know, alternate of what side goes. But, you know, in the midst of a college football practice of how much chaos there is, you know, sometimes, you know, you're going to be off on the wrong cadence. And we've actually had a time for a couple guys, you know, ran into each other and actually got pretty seriously injured. So, you know, it's a, it's a great upgrade. You know, it, it's a needed upgrade, and I think it's going to work out for all sports, not just college, or not just UK football, but, you know, our baseball program, our indoor uh, track and field. You know, everybody's going to benefit from it. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Coach Stoops finally got that indoor facility. I'm, I'm sure the players are too. That's one of those injuries where when Stoops gets asked about that, it's definitely undisclosed, and you're not going to find out how exactly it happened. You just say it happened in practice, but that's one of those where he's probably like, this sucks. Like, that – what <laughs> – that shouldn't happen. You know, like other, yeah, other programs, no. like that's just a logistical issue. And if you have, if you have that support in that way, obviously, you know, that's different, but money doesn't grow on trees. It certainly feels like it does in the SEC these days. So it's nice to see that Kentucky has, has stepped sure. up to yeah, the plate in that eight, regard. 800, or was it close to 800 million the SEC uh, pulled in revenue almost last year? Yeah, it's uh, and it's uh, if you look at the projections too, it's crazy. It's like by the end of the decade, or like each school will be in like a hundred five million dollars. I mean, it's it's insane. And now it's it's sitting there in the fifties right now. And it's like that's that's what that TV money is going to continue to do. You don't have to ask boosters for it. It's just it's totally different. Um, I want to go real quick. I want to go back to your uh to to um, a recruitment story that you told me about. And share share of this what you will. Uh, you're smiling because you know where I'm going. <laughs> You uh, you grew up a Tennessee fan, and I uh, unfortunately, I did. I, I think I, if you want to tell the story, I think we'd work on those uh, on these airwaves. Why didn't you go to Tennessee? They never offered me. 
they never offered me. I, there was a uh, – so when I was in high school, the way that we set up my recruiting uh, with my offensive coordinator and strength coach, Tom Jason Kenner, was that we would have a, a map of the United States on his desk. He was our uh, computer science teacher as well. So, like, whenever I'd skip class and I'd and say, you know, who to talk to today, you know, who we get a letter from today, you know, what's going on. It was actually pretty funny because I used I can sound exactly like and you know I can do impressions. Yes, your your Ed Odron is really really good. And so if I'm if I'm around somebody long enough, like I got a stoops, I got everybody. Like I can pick up on that. And I actually like picked up on Coach Skinner's voice. And so you, I swear to God, I would I would call the teachers in the class. I was like, hey, uh, yeah, in there. I need him for uh, you know a couple things right here. Come on, take one. And I stay there the whole class and they buy it. Because I'd sound just like it. Anyway, so we would look at that map and we would hit up, you know, film. Okay, we're going to hit the northeast region today. We're going to hit all the southeast region today. And then we go by conferences. Okay, we're going to hit the SEC. We're going to hit the Sun Belt. We're going to hit the ACC. And we'd send out film. We'd send out, you know, um, whatever we could send out to them. And we sent so much stuff to Tennessee. And I never got a single letter from them. I don't know what it was. uh, But, yeah, I never got a single letter from them. So that was, like, kind of my start to, like, oh, okay. Okay, that's how you're gonna do me, huh? Like, I know that's not how. I know that's not how recruiting works or anything like that. I'm just doing this shit. But yeah, they never offered me. What about the? Uh, there's, there's, isn't there a Spurrier story in there about you going to, uh, you going to a camp in South Carolina and? Yeah, Coach Spurrier's a Coach Spurrier's a big fan of mine, especially after that you know, Florida incident. But uh, uh, yeah, he uh, so he, he when he was in South Carolina, I think that was his last year, coming up to his last year. I was getting recruited by uh, one of the coaches. He left there and went to South Carolina Upstate, I believe, uh, after I committed to Kentucky. So it kind of worked out pretty good. Um, but they were recruiting me, and South Carolina linebacker coach at the time, they came to school. And it was actually, that's another pretty funny story. So I usually, like, when coaches would come and, like, watch me work out and spring ball and stuff, like, they wouldn't leave without often. So, like, Coach Elliott came the first day. And then I got a phone call at like one o'clock after he communicated with Stoops, and then I, they offered me the next spring practice. Louisville comes down, sending Coach Planakis at the time, and they offered me on the spot. And then so many other schools did that. But when South Carolina comes, and here comes the guy that was recruiting me, and had a great workout and everything like that. And you know, usually before you know they say their goodbyes, and that's when they offer me. And uh, he said, "All right, we'll have you down at camps, you know, and this, this, and that. You know, we'll see what we'll see what happens." I'm like. Yeah, man. Like, you know, I was kind of getting spoiled already from having people come in and offer me. And as I was walking down to take a shower, he's like, oh, hey, by the way, you have an off to the University of South Carolina. I was like, no, let's go, dude. But anyways, so we get down there. They invite me to their, uh, like, their super showcase camp. It's like where they invite all of their, you know, top recruits and everything like that. And they have, like, a, a showcase elite camp or whatever if they want to participate and things like that. And going down there, I had no, I had no desire to participate in the camp. Or anything like that, I felt like I'd already proven myself with, you know, with two big, big power five offers and different things like that, and, you know, including South Carolina. And I had no intention of going down there, but for some reason, I brought my cleats just in case. Brought my cleats with me. I go down there, go in the locker room. You know, they, they show us around, we take pictures and all that good stuff. And time for camp comes by, and the top recruit at quarterback at that time, I can't remember this kid's name, but he ended up playing baseball there, too. Brandon McElwain, right? It was McElwain. Yeah. 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 That's him. He was there, and he was participating in it, and I'm a competitive guy. And I was like, well, if he's a top dog that's already committed, you know, I'm going I'm to compete. And actually, it's actually crazy you, you, you ask about that because 
I found somebody sent me a picture of the camp the other day. It was like one of the guys from the U.S. Army game because if I did not participate in this camp, I wouldn't have gotten my U.S. Army All-American ball invite because guys from I was going to say, that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Guys from 247 was there. I can't remember the head guy at the time, what his name was. Um, but he was there with the camp. I had no idea who he was. I didn't just remember some regular you know, some, like, recruiting reporter, you know, or something like that. Well, anyways – I get the cleats on, we go out there, we warm up and everything, and we're in one-on-ones, and I pick off McElwain twice, like on a route. End up having a great camp, this, this, and that, and then I come back, and that's when I got my uh, that's when I got my Army All-American Bowl invite. But, but, yeah, after that camp, there was like a, you know, a dinner and things like that to where, you know, we can go up in like the recruiting room and then everything set up and things like that. And we get up there, and, you know, me and my dad are in line getting food, and, you know, here comes the guy that's recruiting me. And uh, he goes, oh, let's, let's go talk to Coach Sturrier. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool, head ball coach. You know, it's going to be pretty damn cool. And um, you get up there and he goes, Coach, this is, uh, is Cash Dane, a linebacker from Kentucky that we offered. And he goes, who? Right there, right there. And I just went. I literally looked at my dad and I was like, okay. I literally sat my like, – I, I shook hands with him, took a picture with him. I still had the picture with him just because, you know, he's a legendary coach. I'm not going to, you know, disrespect him like that in front of his face or anything like that, but – and I took a picture of Sugar San Antonio. It was nice to meet him and everything like that. But then literally after that, we sat. I told my dad, I was like, we're getting out of here. So let's go. I said, I, we sat up. We didn't even eat. Sat the food on the table and left. And I was like, I, I know where I'm going to school. That's – I mean, like, you hear stories about a coach who doesn't maybe have his heart fully in recruiting. And Spurrier obviously did well for himself. And there was yeah, probably was, a time place. Thing with, yeah, yeah, there's so many players he's recruiting. You know, I'm, I'm sure I was probably, you know, the 10th linebacker that they'd offered or, you know, or things like that. And, you know, I'm, and, you know, I'm sure he's got, you know, so many names that he's got to remember different things like that to where, you know, he probably he probably knew who I was. But, you know, we're just caught up with meeting so many people there at, the, at that luncheon or whatever. He just probably just slipped his mind. I, I, don't, I don't hold that against him or anything like that now. But, you know, at that time, you know, that's just how I felt with, uh, you know, everything like that. But, yeah, it was a funny story. Yeah, good to see you guys. Take care. Yeah, I, when you told me that, I thought to myself, all right, that, that makes sense. And you're, you're a relationships guy. You know, like anybody yeah, that meets yeah. you knows that, like, hey, you look people in the eye, the way that you talk to them, that, that actually matters. It, it wasn't just going to be about which school, you know, went to an SEC championship the most recently or which school did this or which school did that. And with Stoops, you've kind of had this, like, you guys have kind of been tied at the hip for for a while. No, it I'm seems good. like I'm, I'm just on a, I'm just hanging out. With you. <laughs> Cash is such a, Cash is such a busy man right now that like he's he's at lunch just rocking this hat like like no big deal. When people see you in that hat, I, I'm sorry to keep bringing it up, but they they know you're someone, right? Like the hat and the hair combo. You you're rocking country music star looks right now. I look like I could go down to Nashville and like play with like Florida Georgia Line or you know uh, Dan and Shay right now probably. Not my type of music, but I guess that's the kind of look I'm pulling off. I had a, it was a bad hair day, man. I had my hair all, you know, kind of, you know, straightened down. Everything I got here in this uh, kind of humidity we got here in Kentucky, finally, it kind of poofed up on me. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I like it. I mean, I, I'm not real. Anybody that knows me, I'm more of a, uh, you know, t-shirt, jeans, and a uh, ball cap kind of guy. But when I'm meeting with, meeting with my people, you know, in business and different things like that. I don't, I don't like tying my hair up, man. I like letting it flow and different things like that. And I can't wear a baseball hat to these kind of meetings. So, you know, I have to rock the, uh, have to rock the uh, country style fedora on them. We're, we're, how are we, uh, we letting the hair grow? Is it, is it getting to a certain point or are you just going to rock it at that length for a while? 
Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought about cutting it the other day, and then uh, me and my man Barry with RD1, Barry's got a huge beard, man. I mean, it's dope. It's like gold in the beard. And uh, we were talking about it, and he goes, yeah, he goes, I just, you know, my wife would love me to shave. He goes, I would love to shave, but he goes, I, I just think I'm too committed to it. And I was like, it's kind of how I am with my hair, because, like, as soon as I would cut it, I'd be like, dude, you shouldn't cut that shit. Because it, it'll, ta- it'll take forever for it to come back, and that's – that's a big issue. I, I get to that place where I'm like four weeks. No, we, we can't make this work. Um, no. Yeah. yeah uh, going, back, going back to what you were talking about, you know, with relationships and things, man, it was, that's what really sold me with coach Stoops and his staff. You know, when I went on my recruiting trips with them is because, you know, they, they took such a precedence of getting to know me on a personal level, you know, that Loki inspired me, you know, to how I operated, you know, within the locker room, you know, with how, how to get on a personal level with guys and to get them to know that, hey, you know, this guy, he's not just, you know, shooting smoke. You know, he's, he legit cares, uh, wants to know who we are, and, you know, we'll battle for us on and off the field. And I think that, you know, that's what Coach Stoops and his staff, you know, showed to me and other recruits. And I think that's what really changed the culture of Kentucky football is that, you know, it's not just another place where you come in and you're just another number. No, like, people legit care, you know, and they care for your well-being, not only as a student athlete, not only as a football player, but – as a man, you know, as a person going out into the real world once football's over with, and they do such a great job of setting you up with internships, different programs, uh, you know, different things like that to not only help you as a player, like I said, but just to help you as a person in general, you know, go along with your future with or without football. And that was the thing that they showed me. They showed me love. They showed me that, you know, that, you know, we're here to take care of you. We want to see, we want to see you succeed. This isn't a thing to where, like, we don't want to see you succeed. Like, we didn't just offer you to say, okay, if you can't do it, get out. No, we want to teach you. We want to, you know, learn. It's, that's the big thing with Coach Stoops, recruit and develop. And that's God's honest truth. You know, recruits guys that come into his program and develops them. I mean, look at a guy like Josh Allen you know, and, and the things that he went through, not only with body transformations, but how he picked up the game and different things like that that he picked up on, you know, just in those four short years. And it's a, it's a true, honest statement, you know, when Kentucky says that they recruit and develop their players. It's not just, you know, blowing smoke. It's not just a saying. And, you know, it's, it's just, Connor, man, it's, it's awesome to see that, honestly, we're Kentucky football this day, man. I'm so proud of those dudes, man. It's awesome. And, and, and I can tell. And it's, it's very obvious to see how much pride you take in the program. And that's kind of cool because there are a lot of players – cross country you see their program fall by the wayside immediately after they leave and it's like oh man they just take it on the chin for years and years and it's really hard to support um i want to get you out of here on uh, i'll let you choose your own adventure we'll do that you like you like choices we'll we'll go that way um i'll either let you rip on the portal for a minute or you could praise the portal or your best recruiting story from a time when you hosted a guy on a visit and you can name names if you want. It's better if you name names to be honest, but you don't have to. Okay. So then I'm leave that out on that second part. What was the last, what was my second option? Okay. Second option is um, a, a time in which you hosted somebody on a recruiting visit. And maybe it doesn't have to be somebody who ended up at Kentucky. It could be somebody who went elsewhere or something like that, but just a memorable story that would, that are, that they are comfortable telling and you won't put this, this particular guy on spot, or you can rip or praise the portal, whichever you want. Oh man, that's, it's that's different now because the portal has changed so much. It's 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 easy to rip on it. It's hard to rip on it, but it's also I know it serves its purpose. But I'm more of a storyteller, so I'll go with the uh, I'll go with the story side of things. I know that's I know that's more the side you want me to go down anyway. You know I like to tell some good stories. I never really hosted a lot of recruits after this because uh, they didn't they, they kind of knew 
they kind of knew what would happen. And I can actually talk about this because he's graduating now. But um, Austin Dotson, I hosted him. So, because he's from Belfry High School, I'm from Paintsville. That's about a 45, 50-minute, give or take, drive away from each other in East Kentucky. And so, you know, I was want to be, you know, East Kentucky host for him. And I was trying to have a good time and everything like that. And, well, I knew Dotson could drink some beer. I mean, I, I knew he was a big dude. I mean, and coming from East Kentucky, I mean, we start – I mean, just like everybody in small towns, I mean, hey, you start making beer, and like, you, know, you won't be like your dad, you know, 15, 16 years old, trying to sneak out, go to a bonfire or whatever. And maybe, maybe not too many kids, but those country ass kids did. And uh, so he came down, and uh, I got him a, I got him a 30 pack, and, you know, he wanted some whiskey and different things like that. And I had a plan for us to go to this cheerleading party and uh, go to some other different places like that. Well, he got so drunk that, we couldn't even make it out of the cheerleading party. Like, we had to leave. And it was just vomiting everywhere. Just got it out of us. It was a bad night. And uh, anyway, so we get, out to, get out, to, we get out to the curb. We get out of the curb. Because I had to tell some people about it or whatever. And I told my buddies, like, hey, take him outside of the front room. And we'll get out of here. And he starts flagging down cars like we're back in East Kentucky. Oh, no. He's, he starts flagging down cars. This one guy stops, and he thought he thought that like you know he was like flagging down for something. Well, I get outside, and Dotson and this guy they're going back and forth. And I'm gonna say, okay, we got to get up out of here. But uh, now that was probably one of the last times I think anybody would let me host anybody, just because I don't because I think I think the next morning he like overslept breakfast or like overslept something just because he was he's probably still hammered. But uh, yeah, that was that was my first and I think only recruiting trip. Or recruiting hosting visit. That was definitely when you were like a sophomore, right? Like, th- there's no yeah, way junior yeah. cash Daniels. Yeah, yeah. No, no. If it was if it was junior or senior me, like I'd I'd, I'd probably would just brushing off somebody else. I'd be like, hey, now you guys take care of this. I'll, I'm, let, me, let me just pocket this receipt money. <laughs> cash, you're the best. Uh, I'll let you get back to it. Uh, RD one. It's it sounds like it's going to be an awesome event. It's really really cool. RD one spirits. I know you're doing great stuff. Like. Anyone wants to follow cash on social media, all these great businesses that you're promoting in Kentucky. It's, it's really, really cool to see. And uh, yeah, I wish the best for you, man. Hey man, thank you so much. Anybody wants to buy a bottle of already one William Tar bourbon. I think I've tweeted out, you know, a link to their website. If not hit me up on Twitter, I'll make sure I point you in the right direction because this is good stuff, man. I'm not really a big, bur- I was never a big bourbon drinker. I was always a big moonshine drinker. That's just what we did in Kentucky. That's what my family made, but. You know, I never really had a taste for bourbon. And, uh, you know, I actually tried this bourbon before I even partnered with him. And I was like, this is pretty damn smooth. I can get behind this. And come to find out that Coach Stoops had something part of it, I was like, okay, you know, this is this going to be something special. But like I said, man, thank you for the opportunities that I get. And uh, thank you for having me on, man. Always a great time talking to you, brother. Love it, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. How you doing, man? How about this one? I call it bold and brash. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Been a minute since we had a little bit of bold and brash. Figured this would be a good time to do it. I'm gonna say this at the top. All right. Um, well, when you realize that we got cold take before a pod even hits the airwaves, <laughs> does your heart sink like mine does? I mean. You saw my, I was texting you immediately. Like I was more worried about like, do they take our football title? <laughs> because the stuff that was online was just so bad. I was like, cause it was an LSU thing. For me to get an LSU thing is wrong is like so wild. So I was like, just dealing with that really. So yeah. Fair and non LSU matters, I guess would be probably the better way to phrase that. Like when we, 
instantly it's something goes cold in the coaching world that's where mm-hmm. it typically happens the most or we say this guy's playing i mean it kind of happened earlier in the year with you know the jt daniel stuff whether or not he was going to be starting and like i always just kind of yeah. had that i'm like great it's the 24-hour news cycle this is how it works but it's inevitable what we're doing today is going to lend itself to that yes. <laughs> it's just going to absolutely that, that is reality like i said we're recording this before a single game is being played on thursday all right we're a few minutes from tip-off, actually, as of right now. So by the time people are listening to this, they'll have already been through at least one full day of March Madness. Depending on when you're listening to this, maybe you have already been through the first two rounds of March Madness. Who knows? This is coming out Friday morning. If you say the wrong thing about a team playing on Thursday, you might be subject to some major cold taking before this even comes out. Happens to the best of us. Will, you are not a bracket guy. You are a chaos merchant. Yes. And buddy, with this Deshaun Watson stuff happening right now, am I so happy? I also have to worry about my bracket being wrong. See, this is a great apex day. You're going to be cold taked on that. We're going to have a Deshaun Watson thing, but decision by the time this comes out. I didn't say anything. It's a decision is happening at some point. That's all I'm saying. I'm I'm sitting here waiting. So it's like, this is a great example of my life is so chaotic that if I have to worry about some other chaos I'm putting myself into, I'd rather just, just roll with the waves. Just lean into the tsunami, baby. Let's do it. All right, let's go to the Facebook group. Wanted all the bold and brash predictions for the NCAA tournament. <clears throat> the best time of year to be bold and brash. Caleb Tillman says, zero one seats make the final four. Not how I filled out my bracket, just a hunch. Hedging a little bit, that's all right. I don't hate that at all because, I and I just got texted somebody who filled out an entire bracket with one seats in the final four. And they're like, how do I look? I'm like, well, Chalk. you just, yeah. You just ruin March for yourself if you're doing that. My, my personal opinion is that it's lame because it's a lose-lose scenario. If you win and you win because you put four one seeds in your final four, did you really win? <laughs> did you? Only person I've ever seen look cool doing that was Barack Obama, but he picked UNC at Michigan State. I was like, well, you actually yeah. kind of got this right. That's wild. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it hasn't happened uh, since... 2008. 2008 was the last time that we had all one seeds mm-hmm. in the Final Four. It's very, very unlikely. Now, if we're talking about winning a national championship, and I realize this is different than what Caleb said, but if we're talking about winning a national championship, one seeds have won 15 of the 21 national championships in the 21st century. About that. One through three seeds have won 20 of 21. So if you're picking like a five seed to win your national title, Mm. Um, I'd maybe go in a different direction. <laughs> now, having said that, there is absolutely a path for what Caleb just brought up here, wherein you have like, I don't know, Kentucky gets there. Um, a lot of people are high on Iowa right now. A lot of people are are super, super high on, and I, for me, like this is, I, I get why they're high on Tennessee as well. Um, but I've seen people that are, Big time sipping the uh, the UCLA Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess UCLA and Kentucky are in the same bracket, so that doesn't really make as much sense. But like you could have, you know, four one seeds in the Final Four. Uh, that that could certainly happen. It wouldn't be totally stunning. Drew Page says Loyola Chicago will make another run to the Final Four, and Tennessee won't make it past the second round. Hmm. <laughs> um, interesting that he chose those two things because, of course, a few years ago it was Loyola who had that uh, second round victory against. Tennessee, um, call it a lucky shot. We can call it a lucky shot. Yeah, I think it was. Um, Sister Jean, she knows no limits when it comes to March Madness. Yeah, that, that's like 
maybe the single most obvious upset. It's not even, I don't think it's technically an upset um, to suggest, because Loyola was favored against Ohio State, if I'm not mistaken. Like, um, I'm looking at this right now. I'm, I'm pretty sure in the updated line, it was like Loyola was favored by like two points against Ohio State, despite the fact that it's Tennessee, because I'm sure that's where all of the money is going, right. and understandably so. I'm trying to find that line. Oh yeah, that's the that's the first game on Friday. Oh maybe okay, it's shifted back. Ohio State's one and a half point favorite, so mm-hmm. shows what I know. But that's a I mean, how could you pick against Sister Jean in the first round? Like. Big who do such a thing? Well, that's the thing that's wild is you get these teams like the old school like Butler teams back in the day that were like, okay, well, these are like Wichita State. It's like, well, you guys have been here so many times. Even though you're like an A-10 team or you're like one of these like random AQ teams, it's like, yeah, but you're playing a team that like, yeah, they're a power five team like in football terms, but like, hey, they're not really like, <laughs> you might actually kind of have that edge. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that Loyola has somebody to match up with EJ Liddell. Then again, we said the same thing last year when they were matched up against Kofi Coburn. So mm-hmm. um, everything worked out for the best of them. And they had the guy from Super Troopers um, <laughs> who was just a March mainstay. I'm like, I keep liking his name right now. That guy just look, looked like Farbra. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's do... Oh, and then Tennessee won't make it past the second round. Tennessee's red hot right now. Like, if if Rick... We were talking about this with Adam the other day. If, if Rick Barnes can't get this team at least to the second weekend, the, all the talk about Rick Barnes and his March issues would absolutely resurface. They really, really would. Like, it would be it would be bad. I mean, it would be bad to the point where, like, Tennessee fans would start would start cooling on that in a hurry. And that, that's because you have the identity that your team wants. You have the identity of a team that I think should go deep into March. I, Tennessee, getting to the Elite Eight. Um, but at the same time, it's like, oh, if you puke on your shoes in a second round matchup to, let's say, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Michigan has, you talk about all the momentum in the world versus none of the momentum in the world. Michigan's been a train wreck down the stretch, of course, playing with an interim coach, the Jawan Howard thing. Like if, if that were to happen, and I realize that can get cold taked as well, that'd be a tough look, very, very tough look for Rick Barnes. Yeah, Tennessee, it looks like they have just like a golden path to wherever they wanna go this year. So that never gets messed up. Yeah, um, let's go to, oh, this is perfect. Dave Cozart, uh, he acknowledges this could get cold taked by tomorrow, so by the time that people are listening to this, but either Rutgers or Indiana is this year's UCLA. <laughs> Rutgers <laughs> well, who lost in a first four game, this is already cold take. So we're just gonna pretend, oh, and he also has that the Big Ten finally ends its title drought, wins a national championship for the first time since 2000. I'm just gonna pay attention to the Indiana part of that. I was about right. to say, this is the floor is yours, man. Look, um, I, we're not gonna, people are gonna listen to this and know the results of the Indiana game. I'm totally not gonna be bitter about the fact that Indiana was somehow put in a first four game despite the fact that it had a better resume than Michigan, um, despite the fact that it beat Michigan in the Big Ten tournament, and the fact that they had to play in this first four game, and then they send them up to Portland and they get a flight in that gets in at like 4.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm across the country from Dayton to play in a game the next day. I'm not complaining about that. If I were complaining, that's what I would say. And I would say that maybe that's a little bit of a tough draw for Indiana. Just throwing it out there. It's funny because we were talking like like last podcast, the one before during the Big Ten tournament, you're like, I, they never win the Big Ten tournament. They had won that game. I believe they won another game. And so it's like, that would be the real fitting Indiana getting a hose here is like, they actually do great in the Big Ten tournament. No one cares. <laughs> they end up just getting left on a runway in Portland by like some dumb scheduling. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hadn't won multiple games in the Big Ten tournament since 2003, right? Like I wasn't, I wasn't joking about that. It's right. It, that their Big Ten tournament woes are, they were very, very well documented. And then Big Ten winning a national title for the first time since 2000. Buddy, it's every year. It's every year the drought's gonna end. Every single time. And I, I have a lot of Big Ten people in my life. And <laughs> I think it's gotten to the point now where they, they, they are not, they're not waiting on that to happen. Mm-hmm. They really aren't. They, they're bracing for the worst. Last year was the year it should have happened. I mean, there was no doubt whatsoever that the, be- the, that the best regular season conference was the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. The depth was there. They, just like this year, they get nine teams into the field. And then last year, they get one team into the Sweet 16. I, that, that's almost impossible. Yeah. To, to it's the that yeah. Like, oh, gosh. So who knows? Maybe that'll that'll happen again, or maybe the, this will be the year that the Big Ten has like two teams in the Final Four. They're like, all right, can't mess this up, and then they'll find a way to. Uh, Michael Dark says all SEC natty, but this time in basketball, Kentucky beats Tennessee 69-65 in the final. <laughs> the cigar that Greg Sankey would have in his mouth watching that game. I don't want to say. Yep, yeah, no, it, it would be at least like a solid two feet. I think. That like Michael Scott um, in the hospital celebrating the birth of Jim and Pam's baby. Mm-hmm. That would be the cigar that Greg Sankey would have watching that. I don't think it's going to happen. But the amount of the amount of trash talking the SEC would do after that, buddy. You thought it was bad watching them have an All SEC National Championship in football this year. If they if they run that back and do that in basketball. I mean, there might be six more alliances that form if yep. that happens. Yeah, that's the funny thing. We kind of talked about it like in the previous podcast, but it's like basketball is like the one thing that the other conferences are like clutching because they've already, you know, baseball looks like probably going to be some type of SEC team. There's a ton of great teams. And it's like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like women's basketball is kind of stepping up. Like, it's just like, uh, like hopefully we just have men's basketball. It's like, maybe not. Just count your days, everybody else. Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, David Snowgrove says only one seed makes the final four and it's Arizona. Adam loves Arizona. He really <laughs> does. And I, I feel bad because I definitely wrote off Arizona for most of the year because I thought that they would come crashing down to earth. First year of the post Sean Miller era, the better of the Miller brothers. We can say that definitively. Um, I thought they would fall off the face of the earth. And I always sort of discount Arizona. I don't know why even even back in the, the Aaron Gordon days, I think I had Arizona like losing in the second round of that tournament. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I'm always on the wrong side when they make a deep run. Yep. I don't know why that's the case. Um, probably because their games are on really late and maybe some East Coast bias is trickling in here, but maybe you could could absolutely be right. I have Arizona losing to Illinois in that, in that rematch, a, a two-part rematch, I guess, because they played this year already and then of course, the very famous, uh, the very famous game back in 2005, which was played very close to where I grew up, like 20 minutes from where I grew up in Rosemont, and uh, I grew up in Buffalo. Grew up, game was played at Rosemont, and that was just the comeback of all comebacks. Unbelievable. D. Brown, Darren Williams, mm-hmm. Luther Head. Who could forget? Those are my thoughts in Arizona. <laughs> Let's go to this one from Hunter Raglan. Hunter says Auburn's guards figure things out and the Tigers make another Final Four run. Hunter, you're right by saying that it would be bold for Auburn's guards to figure it out. <laughs> they need a... Because they have not. Not assuming anything about them, but they need like a nice little powwow, a seance, a therapist 
something. It's like their guards, like, saw Jabari being great, and they were just like, I want to try and be him. It's like, let's just all know our rules in this world, all right? <laughs> like, yeah, and it's bad when everybody knows it. I mean, everybody. Look, I'm not going to... We bring in Adam on this show because Adam is way more dialed into hoops than we are because we focus on football for the majority of the year. Like, I admit that. I'm totally a, a, a February guy who can... Like, where, until I really get dialed into hoops and for for the, the first part of the season, you consume stuff, but there's... I, I'm not asked to talk about it. I'm not asked to write about it until then. Right. So it just is kind of consumed in a different sort of way. And you're an Indian but, fan, so you, it's all pain at this point like oh yeah <laughs> you don't consume it exactly. for fun so. yeah. like what what would make me miserable tonight let's watch an IU hoop. let's convince let's, let's have a family meeting with my wife and convince her to watch some IU yeah but I guarantee you if you if you talk to people maybe at your office if you have a bracket pool or something like that and they brought up the subject of Auburn they're like yeah man I don't know about the guards and they, they bring up Jabari Smith it's like it's kind of all out there and it's I, I have no faith in Auburn. Mm-hmm. I have none. None whatsoever. Um, and I would love to see Jabari play deep into the tournament. Oh, yeah. I, I really, really would. Because seeing him in person, I, I talked about this before. Man, it was cool. It was really, really cool. And I, I love seeing guys who, maybe he's not a basketball unicorn, but he's certainly rare. And he is certainly unique to see that skill set at that size um, at this level as an 18-year-old kid. So I... <laughs> I mean, for the sake of my own personal entertainment, it'd be great if Auburn's guards could figure it out. I just, whoosh. this point in the season is not when you should be saying the words, let's figure it out. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like on the Jabari table, I was talking to one of my buddies that went to Auburn the other day. It's like, yeah, like he's exactly the type of player you want in March. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe going back to like Kevin Durant and like Beasley, has there been a guy, because even like a Brandon Ingram or like a Jason Tatum, like wasn't as complete of a player that's just like, you, you're way out of your age. It's like, you really just need to let that guy operate because, I mean, against, like, dudes who aren't NBA players at this point, like, he he could get to the NBA and do the same thing. He's just unstoppable. You know what I'm saying? Jabari Parker is one that, that comes to mind. And then they lost, they lost in the mm-hmm. first round, right? I feel like in the first round of Mer... Was that Mer- the Mercer year? I, I can't remember. I believe so. Yeah, I've, I've scrubbed him from my memory for that reason because he just kind of disappeared after that, yeah. Oh, that's it's so sad. Jabari Parker was, man, a revelation back in the day. Yep. I remember that Sports Illustrated cover where he's he's in the next coming like he's I think they even put on the Sports Illustrated cover like the most highly regarded prospect since LeBron which I mean if you're throwing that out there and you're in high school getting that kind of cover like it's it's a different ball game after that mm-hmm. I don't know how we got on the subject of Jabari Parker but yeah Auburn's guards figure things out <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Emery says Emery Picker says neither Baylor or Kansas makes it to the Elite Eight. I got Kansas winning it all, so I hope they make it to the Elite Eight. Um, yeah, Baylor, um, I, I think Baylor is the most common, actually, uh, and maybe Kansas as well. I feel like Baylor is getting a lot of the um, the one seed who won't make it to the Final Four. Like, there's always that one who everybody's kind of skeptical of. Gonzaga is an obvious choice on a yearly basis for that, just because of the conference and all those different things. But um, I think this is something we were talking about with Adam, about how Baylor has a little bit of a different identity this year. Obviously, they don't have Butler, they don't have Mitchell, um, kind of banged up coming into this tournament. I have, I, I agree with that from that standpoint. I have Baylor losing to UCLA. Um, gosh, I really hope I don't get cold taked on all of these. I probably will. It's gonna be bad. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I, it's so hard to run it back, man. Like watching Florida go through that grind 
and get through the six game tournament in consecutive years, we'll, we'll never appreciate just how difficult that was. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tip my, my cap to anybody that can make that deep of a run in consecutive years. And that, that's, I mean, it's different to, to have a turnaround like what, like what Virginia did, right? Where yeah. Virginia first team to do the one sixteen loss and then you hear the entire offseason about how you're never going to win a national title. A little bit easier to get motivated. But when you do the Florida thing where everybody's coming back and you got that pressure on you from the moment you um, step off the stage at the championship parade and come back and win that, and win that, you know, you've won the first title and it's, hey, if you don't win the second title, you're a failure. And then to go out and do it, man, unbelievable accomplishment. If Baylor wins another title this year, like, that'll rank up there with one of the best 21st century feats we've seen in college athletics, like, no question about it. Listen, if you ever want the uh, the haters perspective, you can always ask me, and those were the two guys, or the two teams, it's like Baylor and Gonzaga, that you were just, or Gonzaga, that you were just like, oh, these teams will be frauds every year. Like, you just get to start yes. off like, what, I look forward to taking these guys out in some early round. And then they played each other in a national title, and then you just kind of go, Okay, well, <laughs> what do I do with this information? You're right. It's like you still kind of want to fall back on those old habits, but it's like, I mean, they, they both really have proven a lot. Obviously, Few has been there twice. And, and Baylor, I mean, there's just have been the consummate, you know, rags to riches story in the NCAA. So it's like, it's, it's interesting to see what kind of last year did for their legacies, you know? Yeah, because you can have the one off year. You, you've seen that before. But even if you win two national titles in a decade, like, like UConn did. I mean, UConn had a tough time getting back on track. It's just not easy. Um, Kevin Ollie fall out and all those different things, but it's just not always a given that you're gonna be able to sustain that level of success, as we often say mm-hmm. on this podcast with football and basketball. Um, we'll end with this one, which could definitely get, co- oh, this is, so people are gonna know this by the time this, <laughs> this podcast comes out, because this, this matchup is on Thursday. Uh, Bobby Burchin says, Georgia State upsets Gonzaga, go Panthers. Heck yeah, brother. That game is being played. That game was played at, so I'm, I'm going to use past tense here. That game was played at 4.15 on Thursday. Zags were a 22 and a half point favorite. If Bobby, if Bobby got that right, if he got that right, people are listening to this and they know, I think we got to get Sean Elliott back on the podcast. Georgia State's finest. We got to make, make that happen. I don't care if, it's, if he's on the football side. We got we to make that happen again. Um, Look, Bobby, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say you're wrong because I don't want to cold take myself here. I'm just going to say that's that's the boldest that we've got on this. That's what that's what we're here for, though. We'll just we'll just get Bobby and Sean Elliott on here at the same time. Be like, hey, let's just we don't even know what we're talking about. We're just chopping it up. We can talk some life, talk some basketball, whatever you got. Who knows? <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll set up a Zoom. We'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how Georgia State loves to troll Tennessee. We'll all make it. Bobby would get on board with that. Bobby's exactly. Florida guy. <laughs> just anti Tennessee podcast at left field. <laughs> This will be the most random podcast ever. <laughs> Nobody will get it unless they listen to this exact part of the episode, but we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, we have some big time guests coming up, some mm-hmm. really, really big time guests that I'm excited about. We will have an SEC coach. I think that's going to be later in the week, next week, but that is planned. That is locked in. Um, somebody that we've had on before. You can kind of figure out who exactly that might be. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the madness. Talk soon.